most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. AJ Jones. Yes, sir. Episode 285 of Keeping Up With The Joneses. How are you today? I am good. You look beautiful. Thank you. A comment, if I may. Oh, no. It's the pause. It's the pause that's really concerning. I haven't checked the weather, but this week we've had temperatures that have exceeded 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. And you were wearing a corduroy shirt. (laughs) A thick corduroy shirt. Yes, I am. But uh, You're a freak of nature? I'm always cold in the house, and it matches your shirt. And That was the look you were going for. And I so badly need to do laundry that it was another <laughs> truth comes the out. easiest. Our yeah, it's laundry situation. It's is chaos. So bad. It's chaos. We'll have so, more to say about that next yeah. week. Yeah. Um, talking about weeks, give me a weekly catch up. How was this week? It was full as usual. It just feels like the. Do you even remember any of it? I don't. No. So when I, I write remember the, nothing. I I. <gasps> we had a friend. <laughs> I, I before we start recording, yeah, I, I have to pull up my calendar to review it, and often I'm like, that was this week. Yes. So, for example, do you remember that it was Tia's birthday this week? No, I didn't. So it's, our daughter uh, that feels was like 13. two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, poor sweet Tia. Tell she, them about it. Her birthday was on Sunday. Yep, a uh, mere six days ago. A mere six days ago, and she went away to camp the previous week. Came home with. Uh, you know, some sort of cold or something, and then woke up on Sunday morning with a fever to go with her cold symptoms. So happy birthday. You get a COVID test. <laughs> happy birthday. Yes. And then she had to stay home. So she didn't get to go to church, see her friends on her birthday. We didn't go and celebrate. Normally we go we out for dinner. We dinner out at the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Didn't get to do that. Yeah. Except I just worked out what we're doing for dinner tonight. You did? Is that what we're doing? Well, we should. She didn't get to go to Cheesecake But Abby's factory. working. Abby won't be there. Eh, it's fine. Well, anyway, we can figure that out. Okay. And then she was supposed to be helping at VBS all week, which she was super excited about, but she couldn't because she sounded like she was a chain smoker. She was coughing so much. Eventually took her to the doctor. Three COVID tests, two rapid, one PCR, all negative. Yeah. And the doctor was really sweet, checked her lungs and everything and gave her some steroids. Yeah. We didn't really make her that hyper. Normally when they give me steroids, uh, I'm hyper. Well, you're, anyway, you're, yes, you are normally hyper if you get steroids. That is correct. I uh. love, like, so they give you the steroid in your butt and it burns, but then <laughs> I feel like I'm on a rapid battery charger. Like I can feel it go. Yes. Vroom. But they gave her slow release serum. So that's different. So I need slow release serum. I sound like a drug addict. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway. They and they give her and some cough syrup, some like yeah. yeah, prescription cough syrup. But bless she does her, sound much better much than she better, did, which is yeah. just as well because she is going on a camp. Uh, a camp and now she doesn't sound like she's about to die. Well, now I feel like a good parent that I'm sending my child off not infectious to infect other children, yes. and she yes. does have energy. Bless her, this whole week she was just pitiful. I felt so bad. And for we her. had to cancel her birthday party and then move it to yesterday. Can and, we talk yeah. about the temperature? It's a very British thing to do. But this week, our heat index reached 111 degrees, 105 in the shade. Yeah. What's that? That's like 40 degrees centigrade for our non-American listeners. Uh, it was horribly high. hot. High. Yeah. Can't believe it was hot. About the weather. Yeah. But yes, so that was Tia's birthday. Happy birthday, Tia. 13 years old. Yeah. Super proud of her. Yeah. So brilliant. And then your friend came. That's right. I always love it when people from Scotland come. That you're friends with. To America. Well, I, I just love any Scottish people coming right. to America. Right, but right. it's especially special when it's people I know. Yes. And so, uh, Graham, hello. He reached out to me via Twitter and said, hey, I'm going to be in Tennessee. I was like, oh, can we show you some hospitality? He got to come and partially celebrate Tia's birthday. I, you know, yes. I had to text him and go, okay, slight change of plans. Yeah. We've got a sick girl. Yeah. She does live at the other end of the house. She did have a fever. It isn't COVID, blah, blah, blah. But he was very brave. He came. rolled with it great. I mean, oh, he has kids though too. Kids, so, so yeah, he yeah. he wasn't thrown. But the best thing is he brought a stash of chocolate. I don't want to say the best thing, but a really good thing. It was lovely having it, Graham. But it was also great. <laughs> I got Percy Pigs. You did. We got Arrows. Yeah. We got Cadbury's, of course. Cadbury's Buttons. And then you got, do you want to wax lyrical about well, your thing? First of all, I got Minstrels, which is like my my go-to, right? Hitherto, so, your favorite chocolate. Yes, until such mm-hmm. time as the UK got on board with what I could previously only get in Australia. And now you can get Cadbury's Marvelous Creations. 
which is like a bunch of people who were stoned got charge of the Cadbury's uh, recipe machine. And, and just threw into the chocolate mix Pop Rockets, gummy bears. Pop Rockets? Pop Rocks. Pop Rocks. Things that like pop on yeah, your tongue. Yeah, yeah. Gummy, gummy bears, bears. Like M&M's. Crunchy. Probably not M&M's, yeah, but not like M- that kind of equivalent. It's like those bars that they make, the dairy milk bars that have like hazelnuts and raisins in it. Only it tastes way better and you're not having to like eat around hazelnuts and raisins. Right. Yeah. But with a whole lot of penny chews, which is what we'd call them in Scotland, thrown in. Okay, yeah. I, you know what? It's glorious. So we had, a, we, had a, we had a visitor, which I always love. Yes. That was fun. Uh, I spoke at Emanate Monday night. I taught on healing. And I didn't didn't want to teach on it. I really wanted to demonstrate healing and then get people active in healing. And I got a lot of revelation, actually. Which mm-hmm. I always feels like cheating, because I got it while I was falling asleep. But I was thinking about Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda. And he heals that man who's been sick for 38 years, isn't it? Remember? Yes. Do you remember the New Testament? Yep. Remember we went to the yep. pools of Bethesda? Yeah, 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 I remember the pools. And the Pharisees are ticked at Jesus, but Jesus kind of blame shifts. And it's basically like, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here, but it could be interpreted as, uh, I'm just doing the work of my father. Mm. And actually goes one step further and says, I, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do that which he sees his heavenly father doing. And I was like, guys, that puts us in a good standing because you and I, we can't do anything. We, we cannot heal the sick. But what we can do is do what we see our Heavenly Father doing. Yes. And then I thought about, well, I didn't think about it. I saw it in a, in a dream. Uh, that whole thing about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed yeah, be your name. Listen, your you kingdom cheat. Come. You cheat. Because when you're getting ready to minister often, you not have a- always. Not always. Often, though. Yeah. You have a dream where you see what you're speaking, and then you just wake up and write it down. That's called cheating. Well- what? Nothing. I do love when that happens. Yes. And I, I, you know, wish it would happen more. But I do love it. I yeah. love it, it. You know what it feels like? It feels like lying down and then revelation falls on you. Yeah. So I do love it. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. But cheating. Cool. But anyway, we were talking about that. And then, yep. you know, we set people loose to pray for the sick, which was so a lot cool. of fun. Yep. And MJ had VBS this week. Which he absolutely loved. Bravo, our Grace Kids yes. staff and volunteers. Yeah. Um, I mean, and this this year, Sharon wrote all the material for it and everything. Like, she just really wanted to pull something together that represented what the Lord had been speaking to her about for the kids. And it was amazing. From the decorations to everything that they did, like, they... MJ came home just so full of light, and he wanted it to be longer. He's like, yeah. I wish it didn't end at noon. I would ask him what was your favorite thing, and he would just say everything. Yeah. Everything. It was so was good. Like, oh, so good. It. And then had uh, we had to postpone Tia's birthday party because she wasn't well, and so took a couple little friends to Nashville Shores it's yesterday. Big water park. Big water park. So we were there for about four hours yesterday in the heat, and man, was it hot. And I didn't actually go in the water because I needed to sit with all of our stuff. We had so much stuff. And I just it just feels like... Did you just read a book? I did. Smoke cigarettes? Yeah, smoke cigarettes. And read a book. You know, yeah. yeah. Classy. Yeah, it was great. We're recording this on a Saturday. Yeah. Tomorrow is a very special holiday in the United States called Juneteenth. Yes, it's a new holiday. It's a new holiday. Just signed into... Last year, right? I mean, it's been a holiday for years, but right. it's finally recognized as a... National, National holiday. holiday signed yeah. in by President Biden last year, 2021. Yeah. Are we 22? Yep. Yep. And so it actually happens tomorrow, June 19th. But the day this episode comes out is the day that we're observing at Grace Center in honor and celebration of the emancipation of slaves. Yes. And so, so I, cool. uh, we're hoping that our uh, fellow Americans are having a great vacation. Does everybody get it off? I guess it's a national, it's a national holiday. holiday. I think yeah. I think you have to, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Our main topic for today is we actually have a special guest on the show, Mm -hmm. and uh, his name is Stephen James, and he's with Sage Hill. You've probably heard us talk a lot about Sage Hill on and off through the podcast. Uh, They are a counseling agency, counseling service, a collective of counselors and therapists here in Nashville, Tennessee. Stephen is the co-founder or founder and uh, CEO, and 
a remarkable man in many ways. We we met him through doing the Sage Hill training. Yes. And about halfway through the training, we realized that Sage Hill's values and Grace Center values in terms of having people live wholehearted lives were very similar, but we approached them in two very different ways. Yes. And he was so gracious. I remember he hosted a lunch for a lot of our pastors and our, our, our senior team, to go be with him. And just so that we could fire questions at him, like, like what about deliverance? Where does the demonic fit into this? What about the spiritual realms? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a fascinating conversation came out with that. Mm. And then when I went back and did Sage Hill training year two, two. Yep. I got to sit with him. He, he was leading that elective. And just a fascinating fellow. Been trying to get him on the podcast for a while. Uh, very good friends, a great uh, long history with a man called Chip Dodd that we had on a year ago, two years ago. I think it was last year, I put a link in the show notes, The Feelings yep. Doctor was that episode. And so I just got to ask him a lot of questions about things like trauma, things like hope, things like codependency, and got to fire questions. Them. Hope you enjoy the interview. Stephen James, hey! I am so freaking excited to have you on our show. <laughs> well, that's I'm a little nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long I've waited for this. We had Chip on, I don't know, a year wow. and a half ago. And you can imagine what that would be like. It's Chip, a lot. Well, yeah, a lot. you do a lot of um, yeah. episodes with him. You know when people write resumes? Yep. And they fake them? Yes. You know, like, hey, I'm fluent in conversational French. And by that, I mean I can ask where the bathroom <laughs> I took is. took French too in college. Yeah. And what was your weekend like? And that's it. <laughs> I was thinking about you and how to introduce you to our audience, and it's going to sound like I'm making up your resume, but it's true. Like You are a founder, a CEO, an author, a podcaster, a father, a husband, a nature lover, an adventurer, a storyteller. Like I'm curious how you managed to fit all that into your life so far. Badly. (laughs) Just stuff it in. <laughs> Just stuff it in. No boundaries. No, uh, man. That's yeah, yeah. Tell the people who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing it. I've been being me. I'll start with that. Yeah. I I uh, started practicing being me eighteen years ago. I uh, wasn't. I've tried not to be me for a long time. Wow. And so around my thirtieth birthday, I ran out of energy to fake it anymore. Um, Tell me what you what were you doing in your third year? I was in seminary. <laughs> you were in seminary. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, you're a student. So I was I was a student. I knew that uh, professionally, I wanted to do something meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working in a marketing and business development job at a religious publisher. I found it horribly soul sucking. Like it was not. I'm sure some people love that. For me, it was yeah. awful. Um, it was. I need to be working with people about people and the story of people and mm-hmm. God. I didn't know what that was. And so the closest thing I could come to was I first started a PhD in higher ed administration. I took two classes in that and hated that. Like administration and bureaucracy. Getting a PhD in bureaucracy is not my forte. No. Right. That was I would have burned down a university if I was right. president, right? So uh, I you quit can also that. tell how much you didn't know about yourself. <laughs> right. But you yeah. thought, you know what yeah. would be a genius idea? Yeah, I knew I wanted to lead and serve mm-hmm. and I knew there are certain institutional things in the world that create good, yep. right? Universities, schools, churches, hospitals, like there's certain foundational things. And so I had an eye for those things. Yeah. Um, and so I went from a PhD in education to a uh, master's in divinity at a couple of different places. And I didn't like that very quickly realized I did not want to learn about the academics of divinity. That wasn't good. Um, some really heady schools, um, and then I was working with Chip Dodd on his book, Voice of the Heart. And but from a pu- pu- publishing, from the publishing side. side. So this is 1998, 1999. I don't know any of this. Yes, yeah, so that's a we. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I've just assumed you've always been therapist, font of oh, wisdom, gosh, no. so, feelings person. Uh, I've always been full of something, <laughs> just not myself or the spirit. Oh. Um, I, so I was working at this publishing house, learning a lot, had been married a couple of years, uh, was horribly depressed. I would go at lunch, I would leave my job and go to the cul-de-sac and journal and I'm, and just got to like pray and it, everything felt so wrong. I thought it was vocational and really it was all emotional, spiritual, psychological. Like I was but you so, didn't know any of no, that yet? I, no, no. <laughs> and any yeah. experience with therapy or? Uh, went to one therapist, my mother took me 
to see a therapist. My sister and I and I used some a very choice language with the therapist and uh-huh. walked out. That was my only therapy experience. Wow. And so Heather and I went to pre-marriage counseling, and we went to the kind of counseling we could afford. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> right? And, no, what you needed, yeah, but what no, you could afford. Yeah. And uh, we, the person was 100% right in what they told us at the second session, but they told us with no art. And we felt so exposed and ashamed that we fled from that in denial. And so those are my two counseling experiences, right? Uh, Steven. So after this, like, thinking it was professional, I, you know, and then I met Chip Dodd in 1998. And he, he had this idea for the book, The Voice of the Heart. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't called that at that time, but it was that and so he I I had the honor to work with him to develop the manuscript. And so he and I met every Thursday for about three hours and what he first taught, taught taught the whole thing on audio and I had a stack of papers. I mean it was you know, you've, if you've ever encountered Chip and you could imagine recording Chip for like three or four hours, mm-hmm. I had that much transcribed. And then my job was to organize that into a manuscript and then to um, begin to edit and write the book. And so I would take what he said, I would kind of clean up the manuscript from what he said. And then he and I would sit with each chapter and I'm left-handed and he's right-handed and we would go over the manuscript line by line. And we did that for about a year, right? Page by page. What an education. Well, here's what was really happening (laughs) because he's so authentic and can't tolerate any, inauthenticity yes. the first hour hour and a half was a therapy session for me i didn't know it of course right but i was i was beginning to bump into myself and bump into my story and begin to face my own addiction idolatry shame performance-based identity uh abuse narratives i mean all the stuff that i had been not trying to face right. you know, to survive um i couldn't help when you start talking about the voice of the heart i couldn't help begin to ask questions. I'm a very yeah. curious, challenging person. Like I'm an yes. Enneagram 8, so I'm going to challenge him. Yeah. He's going to challenge me back. Yeah. And you're both going to love the process. Yes. And we're both going to end up crying at some mm-hmm. point. Right. And so he and I became very close and I became uh, very exposed and um, and grew a ton in it, like really grew. And I know I needed to make a change. There was a needed change vocationally that I needed to make. Uh, I wasn't being myself and I needed to pursue something that was more me. Mm. I narrowed that down to being a professional soccer coach or pursuing God's people and their story. That was the two <laughs> options that I that was me. Well, as, when Chip finished the manuscript, I asked him, who do you want to endorse the book? And he said, I want, uh, so funny, he goes, I want C.S. Lewis, <laughs> Billy Graham, and Dan Allender. <laughs> or Franklin Graham and Dan Allender. And I said, well, pretty sure C.S. Lewis is dead. <laughs> Right, it's like, yeah, but that's who I want to endorse the book. I said, okay, he's dead. So, and uh, I think I think we can get to Franklin Graham, and I don't know who Dan Allender is. And so this was, you know, it wasn't pre-internet, but this is where you still like wrote letters and sent sure. packets. So yeah. just, you know, so I wrote that I found this guy Dan Allender in Seattle. Uh, he was the author of a book called The Wounded Heart. I sent a packet to Wounded Heart Ministries, and I got back several weeks later, I got back an endorsement saying, uh, well, we asked him to write the forward. He said, I'm not going to write the forward, but I appreciate the book so much, I'm going to write you a lengthy, a lengthy endorsement. Wow. And and at the bottom, it said, Dan Allender, president of Marshall Graduate School. And I was like, well, that's interesting, Marshall Graduate School. And I had just quit the PhD program in a, in a divinity program. So I turned on the internet, kind of thing, and it this school showed up and it talked about tech, soul, and culture. And this was at the beginning of kind of way beginning of postmodernism in the church. And before it became deconstruction, it was kind of revitalizing theology and rethinking stuff. And I, because of this publishing house and my age, I got to be at the table with all the thought leaders in that world. Right. So that was, I was already thinking about that and thinking about how to engage the world with the with the true story and enculture it in wherever culture I'm in. And so I started reading this website. I started crying and I called Heather and I read it to her. And then she said, it sounds like we're going to graduate school. It sounds like we're moving to Seattle. And I said, I don't know. Like, and then a year and a half later, there's a whole lot of story that goes with that about what God did and timing and uh, provision and surrender. And uh, we moved to Seattle 
Whoa. I started at Marshall Graduate School in the Divinity Program, Master's in Divinity Program. At the end of the semester, the faculty, my faculty supervisor came to me and said, hey, we've talked and we think you'd be better in the counseling program than the divinity program. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, well, you would just switch programs. It's a two-year program, not a three-year program. I was like, well, my Heather's going to love this. Like, she didn't want to be here. So let's, I'll go home and tell her that. And she was a uh, trained counselor from Vanderbilt University at that time. So, and she'd worked at Daystar Counseling Ministries and ran a counseling program at St. Paul Christian Academy and all this stuff. So she, she was a counselor. Right. So we go, I go home and I tell her, I said, Hey, I'm going to switch the counseling program. And she laughed. She goes, You a counselor? Like, you don't, you're not touchy feely. Oh. You're, you're kind of abrupt. You're a little bit rude. Oh, you cuss too much. I'm like, I know, but I get out in two years and, and you actually get paid to be a counselor. You don't get paid to be a divinity person. I didn't want to work in a church. That was right. not, I wanted to work with God's people and their story. Like, yeah. that was what I was called to do. And so I switched degrees, got a counseling degree, moved back to Nashville. I thought you just started a private practice. So I started a private practice. Chip worked out a deal in Murfreesboro. I was paying a guy like 40 bucks a month for an office in the back top behind something. And uh, I took me about five years to provide for my family. At, while I was doing that, I ended up working for the school, working with Dan. Became a really, he became a really significant mentor in my life. Uh, I helped that school navigate a lot of change and um from nashville yeah i was running a team yep out there from here and i would travel back and forth which began to introduce me to the idea of how important leadership is and the sacredness of leadership Mm -hmm. and watching dan navigate some of the changes he needed to make in his own life and and that was that plants a seed later for me um and then i did private practice uh for several years i went on staff at a church just, uh, just to help everybody, yeah. private practice as in as a counseling, therapist. Counseling, therapist. Yep. Yeah, I was running yep. a private practice. I, at the same time, we had twins. I freaked out. We had four kids, four and under. I thought I needed health insurance. So I got a, a, a church that was a referral partner of mine, asked me to come on staff for a couple of years. I kept my private practice, which was really good because me and big institutions don't, we don't go well together. I'm very well, much a, a profit. I'm, yeah, I'm a change agent. And yeah. they happen to be going through a lot of change at that time. So it worked. But, but you'll also cause change. Yeah, just I do. The, the yeah. Gift I'm an irritant. You. I'm a spiritual irritant yeah, in the world. Or accelerant, <laughs> to be kinder. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah. It's, so my practice grew, and I wrote some books, and those did really well, surprisingly. And uh, wrote some. then I wrote some other books that did really badly, surprisingly. It's like a like a... Like the the debut album always does well. The next couple albums might really suck, yeah. and they suck. Uh, but then I, you know, just kind of grew and became, and God favored me with a lot of influence and humility came through that. And and so after being in private practice alone for a long time, I realized the need to build community around it. So I started with Chip's blessing. I started uh, a company called Sachel Counseling. When the idea behind it is that if we can build a a, um, a thriving, vibrant, verdant community that supports therapists, they can support clients better, that we're better together than we are alone, right? And so I've been leading that for the last nine years um, with help of other people along the way. And uh, and then most recently, uh, I, after 20 years of being a therapist, I noticed signs and burnout in myself. And so right. I started a transition away from private practice and I started another company called the Leadership Lab. And we work with leaders entrepreneurs, professionals to be more wholehearted and full-hearted in what they do so they can lead with integrity, hope, faith, love, justice, both at home and at work, and really mm-hmm. give them a platform uh, to be themselves, take their armor off so they can then go back to their their context and live out their story with, with just greater intention and meaningfulness and impact. And so that's grown really well. It's, uh, it's taught me a lot of, um, I get to be around really bright, accomplished people who are still needy and vulnerable and deficient and lonely and hoping and mm-hmm. thinking that the success that they got them was somehow going to um, save them from the human story and the struggle. Wow. And I get to reintroduce them to that and how to do it well. And so I've built a community here in Middle Tennessee that as a, it's a community of leaders and we meet regularly and encourage each other. And uh, I feel very much passionate and connected to my calling and professionally I've never been more satisfied and so it's like it's like how did i get here 
it started with me stopping running from myself mm-hmm. and beginning to accept my gifts and my limitations and my neediness of other people, continuing to let myself let go of what I thought I had to be or should be so that I could become more of who God made me to be. And I, and that's a daily practice, right? I was telling mm-hmm. someone this morning, I've got an email during a meeting. And I was like, well, I need to quit doing that. Like I clearly suck at that. So I'm going to stop doing that now too. And there's some things I'm, continuing letting go of as a as just a spiritual discipline so that i could be more of me mm-hmm. um, have more to give and more to receive and i mean I, I don't, i'm not sure what you asked me but that's a that's a great <laughs> introduction the spirit <laughs> of chip dodd is upon you <laughs> <laughs> my experience of you <clears throat> Stephen, our lives have intersected I, I was trying to find the first email i ever received from you okay. i don't know if you're aware of this i'm not years and years ago probably maybe a year after i moved here so we're going back 2009 2010 yeah we have a mutual friend we have lots of mutual friends but todd prevost oh yeah so i'm having yes i'm having coffee with todd yes years ago and i can't remember i just taught something at church todd had listened to it todd really latched on to something i'd said and he began talking about you and his feelings chart and i was like oh that's so exciting like you know, and I had <clears throat> didn't have any revelation of the voice of the heart or yeah. your feelings chart, but had something along the lines. But he tried to connect us. I don't know if you remember that. I like, don't you, remember you that. wouldn't remember it was me, but I he tried remember, to connect well, us. Well, I remember this moment in Todd's life. Yep. And so I know I know what you're talking about. Yep. And so uh, and I forgot you were you. <laughs> you know, I don't know who Stephen James yeah. was. Just uh, Todd I like Todd and Todd's like, I yeah. think you'd really like this guy. You two are and very Todd's similar. a connector. As you get connected, yeah. never worked out. But then I remembered when the you know the kind of the weave of you in and out of my life is when my parents died. I reached mm. out to Todd because I knew Todd knew lots of. Yeah. Answers. I was like, "Who do you recommend?" He gave me your name. I emailed you. You were like, "I'm too busy, but here's some yeah. people I'd recommend." Ended up going to see Will, who was at yeah. Sage Hill at the time, and then met Dane, and then yeah. did the Sage Hill training. So our you know oh, I love Sage our, Hill the training. connecting. Yeah, and people who are listening to the podcast for a long time will know they'll have heard of you. They'll have heard of uh, you know all the feelings were at voice of the heart. <laughs> there, Sage Hill. As, as I, uh, uh, there's a version of me that people have heard of. I'm sure <laughs> he uh, he precedes me. <laughs> well, just even hearing that story, it's so he, funny. he ain't me. <laughs> How funny! I've just assumed that you know out of the womb you've always been a therapist. Oh God! So well, I was my mother's therapist out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other episode. I tried to be my father's therapist. He didn't want that. Oh yeah. My emotional, spiritual DNA is made with a a sensitivity to the story of people mm-hmm. and the sensitivity Very to the true. story God's telling. Like I've, uh, as a child, my father worked for uh, Sony, then RCA. We had every electronic device and TV and VCR that you know that was available, and which means I had access to stories, right? Wow. And so we had movies, and I and I watched movies, and I would watch multiple movies, and and for me, it wasn't about at that, at, even at that age, it was about like something's going on here. What's going on, mm-hmm. right? I was thinking at it and feeling the narrative, and yeah. um, and that was being tutored in me very early, yes. right? Like that's just a part of who I am. Yep. And and I really do love people. Like I love people. I care about people. Uh, sometimes without boundary, and I've learned to have boundaries about myself with people. But so it's story and care and love and man, that's. Mm-hmm been who i've been out of the womb Mm -hmm. learning how to uh be more than just my performance in those things and learning how to be me as me uh and offer me and receive in myself has been a you know 1998 to 2022 journey um with lots of iterations of that but uh, there's a professional public version of me um that i hear about a lot you know (laughs) It's but like, it has to come from somewhere. It does come from somewhere. Well, to, you know, it's not it's not fiction. We did this conversation at, at, at a training I had at Sage Hill a few months ago. And my question was, before you enter the room, what precedes you? Mm-hmm. And we were like, what? I said, well, me. Like, you know I'm coming in the room. What's preceding me? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, gosh, there's going to be noise. There's going to be shame. There's going to be fear. There's going to be play. There's going to be – it's like we all know what's coming. It's like, uh-huh. And we went around the room, and, like, we all have a version of ourselves that's preceding right. us. Right. That's a part of us. Yep. But it's not the whole part of us. Sure. You know, and as a challenger and instigator, initiator, 
it surprises a lot of people that I'm as tender as I am. And, you know, that would be my experience yeah. of like in the times that we've had offline conversations, maybe between sessions. Yeah. I'll be shocked by some of the stuff you say. Like, never in a million years would it cross my mind. I remember one day you were saying, I get really angry when people leave me. Oh, God. And I was like, my gosh, I so thought much. you would be so indifferent. Oh, no. That was my, you know. Was, oh. I wrote this about you, like as an introduction, just thinking about <laughs> where we were going to go. You didn't go. tell me this could be a therapy session. Now, well, you know, we could go in so many different directions. <laughs> yeah. But what I want to let you know is. Okay. Let me, let me read this because I, I liked what I wrote. I said this, I know you to be a generous man a brilliant thinker, and someone who tells the truth and is fiercely curious, even when those things may get you into trouble. That would be my experience of you. Thank you. In every interaction I've had. I, I, the, the astonishing generosity that you've shown me, our church, our, our staff, I, I mean, I think honor where honors do. I don't think we would have got through COVID. We would have got through the transition we've been in without all the stuff that you've given us. The stuff that you know you've given us through training, yeah. but also the stuff that you don't. And here's some of the stuff that you don't. Oh, gosh. Here's what I've done is I have, you know, I mentioned I've sat in classroom environments yeah. with you. I've sat in small group environments yeah. with you. We've had one-on-one -on -one conversations. One of the things that angers me most about you, and you, you, you catch this every time, is your throwaway one-line statements. You're not trying to be pithy or witty or – you just – in the course of conversation, you'll so say something, you're on the next thing, and I'm angry because I'm running after you, picking up that thing. But, like, this thing is like a, you know, yeah. it's got like a megaton of revelation. Unpack it, and you're on to the next thing. <laughs> because I've got you locked in my basement, <laughs> I collected them in a file. Oh, my gosh. And so now what I'm going to do, if you're okay with oh, this, I love this. this is wonderful. consent, is I want to read them back to you. These just little one-liners okay. and ask if you can unpack them give some context where they sure. come from i'd love to do this is so fun well I'm thank you for listening for me. I've, I've saved them <laughs> so here we go you again i can't tell you the 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 speed with which these would be thrown out often in the context of i don't know q a with an audience that somebody would ask yeah. you a question and on your way to answering the question you'd throw this out and i'd be like but back up <laughs> okay so here we go whatever causes you to hate your hope is what you need to grieve. Yeah, thousand percent. You can't just say yeah. You have to explain. <laughs> oh, what I that thought means. you were going to read the list. Nope, that's oh, okay. the first one. Okay. Whatever you, whatever causes you to hate your hope is what you need to grieve. Talk about that. Hope is the most painful, next to love, which is the most powerful thing in the world. Hope is the most painful thing we'll ever experience. Love is deeply painful. Mm -hmm. Hope is this insatiable energy and lean forward leaning into the possibility that at any given moment everything's going to be okay everything's going to get better and we are made with that in us we as uh western modern thinkers our vocabulary has turned the word hope into like wishing mm -hmm. right and hope isn't a wish hope is a a part of our energetic psychic psychological emotional spiritual self that can't help but lean into the idea, the reality, the possibility that everything is going to be made well in just a second, right? My hope is fashioned by where my hope has been deferred. And hope deferred makes the heart sick and a longing fulfilled is the tree of life, right? So where I have had to defer my hope, mm -hmm. where I've been aware of my desire for everything to be made whole, and it hasn't. Like that's going to break my heart mm -hmm. and that's going to break my heart over and over and over again. And our hearts are made to be broken and made to be mended and made to be broken and made to be mended. And so hope is the wellspring of life. Like it's, it is, it brings us so much possibility and so much trouble. Mm -hmm. And so we try to defer it because it, it, we cognitively know that it's not going to happen but we emotionally and spiritually know we're made for it to happen and we know it one day will happen. And we're living in that tension all the time, right? And so specifically for me, the things I hope for are places I'm sensitive to and you were sensitive to and everybody listening. And based on your own story, where you hope the most is where your heart's been broken the most and where you need to grieve the most, right? Can I ask you a question yeah. about that? I don't want to interrupt you in flow. No, that's How, good. Are you, I think you're okay with being Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please interrupt. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like a fractal. <laughs> you know, there's like a thousand things yeah. coming off that question. 
Are we aware that we're, like, I hear what you're saying. Hey, we're built to do this. Are we aware that we're doing that? Or are we more conscious with the ways that we're trying to stay away from our hope? So I agree. We're all built to hope. And yet I know in my own story, I know in the lives of the people I work with, I am more cognitively aware of me hating that hope and killing and pushing away and not being present with it. Because it means pain. Right? Yeah. But you're saying that's still going on under the surface. Yeah, you can yeah. be mad at that, but that's still going. What yes. are the what are the signs that's still going, even though we hate it? We're trying to deaden our heart to hope. Uh, how, man, that's a tough question. That's a good question because it's causing me to think. Which, thank you. We can't not be aware of it. Like it, it is. It's like, are you aware that you're breathing? No. And then sometimes you are. Right. Right. You're always breathing. You're always hoping. It's so wow. much a part of us that that it just is who we are. You're always blinking. Your heart's yes. always beating, right? You can you can practice being aware that your heart is beating and yeah. you can even with real deep meditation, but you can change the rhythm of your heart and you can slow it down, you can speed it up. You can practice your eyes. I'm aware my eyes are blinking. I can try not to blink and I'm still going to blink, mm-hmm. right? Hope is more like that than it okay. is like an idea or like a feeling. It's so much a part of us. Okay, that's super helpful. Yeah. One of the the downfalls that we've experienced out of the 20th century and the psychological movements of the 20th century is the idea that if we understand ourselves mm-hmm. and we do it different, there's a way that we can be healthy. I hate the word healthy. Quit using the word healthy, everybody. I can be healthy um, or I can not be dysfunctional or I can... St- not have to struggle or I cannot have to be depressed or be anxious or like have feelings, have feelings. Right. Yep. And feelings are so like rudimentary, you know, like hope would be like trigonometry calculus. Mm-hmm. Feelings are like one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're doing those all the time too. But hope is, I mean, we're, we're, there's a part of us like on a, I don't know this. I believe this. This isn't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if this is proven or not, but it's proven to me. Our like DNA, molecular, like there's, we are, this is so weird. We are more nothing than something. I mean, from a molecular level, like there's more space in us atomically than there is actual substance. And you get down to the atomic level, but something's filling in those gaps that's not measurable in the temporal world, right? And we call that in the church, we call it spirit. You know, I think another word or another face of spirit would be hope. Right. It, it is the thing that binds us. It is the thing that moves us, and it is us, and mm-hmm. it is a part of the image of God that we carry and, and live out in the world, whether we want to or not. Like, we can right. choose not to be – that you can't not hope right. unless – I mean, that's what a lot of suicide ultimately is, is a, is a desperate attempt to extinguish hope because <gasps> hope is so painful oh. and so – I can't stop hoping, and, I, and it – keeps nothing keeps changing and the, oh. yeah and especially adult adult suicide adolescent suicide is a different thing but a lot of adult suicide is the is the attempt to extinguish the hope mm. because hope is so exposing of our powerlessness and the grief then whatever you cause you to hate your hope is the thing you need to grieve talk to me yeah. about the grief how does grief fit in with hope well i love team I love, I'm my best when I'm coming alongside great people and helping them be great. Like that is my best. Mm-hmm. I'm not my best when I am um, trying to make myself great, right? Some people are. Some right. people are like made to hit home runs. I'm made to help you hit home runs. And right. I love that about me because I get to like enjoy that with you. That comes from someplace in me, mm-hmm. right? That comes from a family wrought with addiction and trauma. That comes with a lot of loneliness. That comes with a lot of like a places in me that were undeveloped, unnurtured, unsecure, uh, that touched kind of who I am. And I started making a version of myself that would try to make up for that stuff, mm-hmm. right? So I hope for a depth and relationship and connectedness that is so secure. But the problem is I'm like relationally malformed. I'm really bad at attachment, <laughs> right? Right. So I have to continually grieve my lack of attachment skill, my lack of attachment structure so that I can like lean into what I can have and enjoy yes. what I can enjoy. But then the minute I start to enjoy it, I have to recognize that like, oh, this is what I've been missing. 
right? So joy and grief like go hand in hand, you mm-hmm. know? And so I, my hope exposes in, in me what I need to grieve. Mm-hmm. And then grief leads to acceptance and acceptance leads to fulfillment and you know, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we try to disconnect it and we want to solve the problem. We call the problem pain. Pain's right. not the problem. Right. You know? So we try to alleviate the problem of being human with hope-filled hearts by being realistic, yeah. by being measured. Yeah, that's one by way. By being measured, sure. you yeah. know, controlling other people. Being stoned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's another way. O- opting out it's, of yeah, reality. The, the list of what humans can do to avoid being human, like we can make a list like as long as all of the arms of the world. It's funny you should say that. Because uh. <laughs> the next thing that I have is stress is an inability to hope out loud. These are all things you've said. God. <laughs> Stress is yeah, an inability true. to hope out loud. Unpack so so that. sometimes I say things and I'm not sure what I'm saying, but I believe they're true. It's like, no, that sounds good. That's true. Uh, I've written things. And I'll go back and like read my own books and go, man, that's who wrote that? That's As really a preacher, good. I know the same that. stuff. When right? the audience is like, say that again, you're like, like what did I, I say? That's I the Holy Spirit. The that's yeah. the Holy Spirit uh, in the flow. Uh, what did I say? You said <laughs> stress is an inability to hope out loud. Yeah. So my hope is not made to be held within. It's made to be expressed and shared. Right. right. And so when I share my hope, you're going to share your hope. And now there's something happening in the world, the inner energy of that. And when I am in distress, right, or fear that my that what I'm hoping for is not going to come true, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to hold that in. That's going to cause a dissonance in myself. It's going to cause a friction, mm-hmm. right? And that's stress, right? It's like I'm not living in congruence. Stress isn't bad. I encourage everybody that's listening and watching to us. It's easy to hear some things I talk about in a in a dualistic, right? good, bad. There is evil and love. Those mm-hmm. are true things. Not everything that's good is love, and not everything that's bad is evil, mm-hmm. right? And we love to make everything dichotomous. Now you have to write new things down. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. So, uh, so when I am in distress, or I am in incongruence, or I have a sense that the world is not going to be the way I wished it to be, or want it to be, like, gosh, I need to be expressing that. And if I keep it inside? It's, it's not made to be inside. It's made to go. It's made to expand. Beautiful. Yeah. Addiction mm-hmm. is an intolerance to vulnerability. It, that's a direct quote from Chip Dodd. Okay. Give him credit. All right. I heard you say it, but there yeah. you go, Chip. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, that's what it is. That's in the book, Hope in the Age of Addiction. We write a lot about that. But we are made as emotional, spiritual creatures. We are all very sensitive. Life bothers us. Mm-hmm. It's made to bother us. We're made to be bothered by it. That's not a design flaw. That's a feature. Yep. It's wonderful. It leads to empathy and compassion. And ugh, It hurts so much to live, and I get tired of it, especially if I grew up in a place where my hurting wasn't met by the benevolent care of another with power, an adult, to the degree that in every family it's not. The more it's not, the more intolerant I become my own feelings because the adult can't hold my feelings. They're intolerant of my feelings. So I'm intolerant of my feelings. I become mm-hmm. intolerant of my feelings as I get older. I don't have the skills to manage my own self. So I have to look for something that's going to manage my feelings for me. So I turn to something and I find something. And whatever that thing is I find that takes my shame and my fear, fear of abandonment and the shame of being needy, whatever resolves that, my brain and my heart say yes to it. And it's like, oh, that's good. I'm made to feel like this way. And then I start unconsciously looking for that. Mm-hmm. And those those are good things. Like We only do good, find good things mm-hmm. to do that with. Only good will satisfy the heart. But then we start looking for ways to to satiate the heart and not, not be satisfied. We want to be satiated. We want to not feel this way. So we unconsciously start looking and looking and looking. We find them. And then on an unconscious brain level, we start using those things to processes and substances to not have to feel to not be vulnerable to our own experience and sooner or later that is such an automatic process that it owns us and we become possessed by this thing and that's addiction mm-hmm. right that's a, a slight enslavement that is a normal human process right everybody's an addict everybody's an idolater mm-hmm. And it's our admission of that that actually leads us to greater freedom and greater humility and surrender and more power in the spirit and all and that those process things. is so freaking expensive. <laughs> 
it, yeah, it costs us. It oh. costs us a lot of ego, oh. and a lot of self sufficiency. Oh, it's agonizing. Yeah, it's 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 the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Oh. it's it's yeah. You know, it like oh, and yeah. we'll talk about that in a bit. That's beautiful. What a great, what a great explanation, you wordsmith. Um, <laughs> the inability to make meaning from your story leads to trauma. Okay, so anybody that has been reading or listening to anything psychological the last 15 years is going to have a problem with what I say <laughs> right now. So this is where I lose friends and fans right now. Uh, but I I want to have my whole thought heard. Sure. Okay. Trauma is normative. We're living in a fallen world. Yeah. It cannot be avoided and it must be dealt with. And we live with the lust to try to create a world where trauma can be not had. Mm. Okay, This is the psychological, clinical, accepted definition of trauma. I'm about to give you what it really is. Not what we think it is or what it feels like. This is what it is. It's the inability to make meaning of an event. That's what trauma is. When something happens to me, or I experience something that overwhelms my senses, mm-hmm. emotional, physical, spiritual, everything in me, like can't hold that, and it overdoes my senses, all senses. It, it doesn't make sense to me, and so I, I don't have a category or a way to, this isn't cognitive, this is like deeper than cognitive, yep. this is emotional, spiritual, psychological. I can be invaded by something, I can be exposed to something. I can be I can have something be taken away from me or lost and I and I don't have a way to hold or make sense of that, right? And that's called trauma. Mm-hmm. I can't make meaning of this event. And as humans, we're meaning-making creatures. We're always writing a story. What's so weird to me is that awe and trauma are like a hair's width apart. Because awe is like, I can't, I don't have words. Mm. And trauma is, I don't have meaning. And the difference is with awe, it's meaningful. And trauma is meaningless, right? And my work, my responsibility as a human being and my responsibility with other human beings is to make meaning of the things that are meaningless to me. We're meaning-making creatures. Mm -hmm. And I need help and practice in making meaning of things as things happen to me, as I'm being undone over and over again by mm-hmm. life. You know, and as a, as a parent, some of the most undoing things have happened not to me. <laughs> They've happened to my kids that I have no control over, right? And it leaves me terrified and unsure. And I thought the world and God was one way and it's not. And how do I make sense of this? And um, there's not an easy answer. There's lots of complex answers and lots of feelings and lots of needs and desires and longing and hope that happen in that. And so, those of us who've experienced trauma, which is every human being that has ever lived, birth is traumatic. We wouldn't call birth bad. Birth is a traumatic experience. A child goes from like perfect connection, floating, warmth, like everything I need is right there. I don't have to be hungry because it just fed me. I get stimulated just enough to, mm-hmm. right? And it's a, it's a life or death experience. Like it's a very dangerous passage. So our initiation into life is trauma. And so trauma experts right now are are agreeing with me and they're having trouble with me because they there's a lust to eradicate this as opposed to do what I think is uh, a more durable approach is how do we help people make it meaningful? Mm-hmm. How do we normalize it and not criminalize the idea of trauma? And they go, yeah, when it happens, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. Not how do you avoid it? Mm-hmm. Is it's going to happen, and so, you know, depending on what it is, like how do you how do you deal with it? And so, when some yeah. when the rug comes out from under you, the good news is you will land. Mm-hmm. It hurts, but like the rug's going to be pulled out. Sadly, at different times, you can't predict when it's going to happen, and it's not always somebody's fault. Mm-hmm. It often is, but not always. And you hit the bottom, and the the work we get to do as humans then is what's the meaning that we get to have. And what's curious about that process is, I heard you say, you know, people have a problem with that, is meaning has already been 
prescribe. Yeah. You know, we've been with enough people. We've done our own work about our own trauma. We had meaning about what that trauma yes. meant. Yes. And part of the healthy yeah, I told work, myself a story about that. Absolutely. Is having that story interrupted yes. and considering another one. That opens up the possibility oh. for something other than what I expect. So again, yeah. so if I've experienced trauma and I make meaning that like, well, that happened because I'm a bad person or that yeah. happened because all men are bad or because yep. these people aren't trustworthy or, you know, mm-hmm. and now I've made a story. I've made it meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And then if I open myself up to a different narrative, guess what could happen again? Something else is going to happen, yeah. right? And so we try to live a small story. We're made to live a big story. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the only freedoms we have is to determine our attitude in any given situation. That's one of the greatest human freedoms. That doesn't mean I get to choose to be happy. That's not what it means. It's not like, just be happy. It means that in any given situation, I get to make it meaningful. Like, yeah. I get to determine uh, my response to this. Is it going to be hope? Is it going to be grief? Is it going to be, uh, I don't want trauma. I'm not looking for it. Yeah, it's inescapable. And yet, there's going to be a moment in my life coming that I don't know what's happening. It's not, and I'm going to have to unlearn the narrative I'm living in so I can have a bigger story. Mm. And I need, I'll need help with that. So yeah. beautiful. We get stuck in life. When we refuse how we're made. Yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Next question. No, that's a statement. That's good. Yeah, we do get stuck in life when we refuse how we're made. So my observation is most people would not agree with that statement. And say, we get stuck in life when people are jerks and my boss this and the government that and we move outside of ourselves to just blame shift without even considering. Yeah, yeah who am I in it? Yeah, yeah. Unpack that, which we're probably going to do before I interrupt that. No, no, no. I uh, I appreciate the time you gave me to think through what I want to say. We get stuck in life when we resist how we're made. We refuse how we're made. I'm made to live. You're made to live. We're made to live fully. Living fully gets me into trouble. It gets me out over my skis. Yeah, right. When I'm out over my skis, I get too much momentum, and I like ah, I want to stop. It's scary, and I can't stop. And then I fall down, and I get hurt. Right, right. That's wonderful. Or I think I've got to be more than I am. I have to overfunction, mm-hmm. and I won't just stay in my lane. I've got to worry about everything. I confuse my. I've, I confuse worrying about people with loving people, mm-hmm. right? Or I confuse being in control with being responsible, right? And so I will overfunction, or right, I'll underfunction. I'll pull really back, small. get really small. Like yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt anything. I, you know, excuse me. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, we're. Before we started recording, I just came back from Ireland and, and uh, Scotland, and everybody's apologizing for everything in Scotland. It's like, I'm yep. so sorry. Yep. Can you move, please? It's like, why are you apologizing for me being in your way? Like, it was a, so polite. It was so polite. Horrifying. <laughs> so sorry. That's what I grew up with. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. It took me a long, t- long time yeah. to escape from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, no one wants to be in the way, right? And I wish some Americans, I wish we were less willing to be in the way um, sometimes. We're very good at being in the way as an American culture. But either make myself overfunction or make myself underfunction so that I don't have to just be me. Because mm-hmm. being me leads me to neediness, dependence, asking for help, stepping into affirmation. You know, I have to continually practice saying, when someone gives me a compliment, saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say thank you. I want to say, let me explain. Right? Because. In my story, if you delight in me, there's going to be a string attached. And I have, like, that's not always true, Stephen. Right. Right. But in some places that I came from, that was so true. People use words to get what they needed from you. Yeah. Yeah. They they would use affirmation, joy, delight, to get care to get me to give oh. them something I wasn't made to give them. Ah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so to learn to trust another person's delight in me. Is, is a lifelong work for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's me being me. I'm made, I'm made the image of God. I'm made to be delighted in. Yeah. I'm made to be enjoyed. I'm yeah. made to be celebrated. And so are you, yeah. right? And so is everybody. And But for me, because delight has all, is often, it cost me something. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking about how am I about to be used? Mm-hmm. How am I about to be used? How am, and that's not me being me. I'm living with a guard up. Right? Right. I, I'm, be, I'm so much better than I used to be. Uh, and out of that has come generosity, 
uh, it means the world to me that you recognize me as a generous person. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last probably six, seven years, another thing I've seen emerge as I've lived a less guarded life and a less defensive life is kindness. Mm-hmm. Like I so appreciate kindness and I'm mm-hmm. so much more gentle than I've ever been. And I'm just like, God, oh, that's so wonderful. But that's come out of my actually ability to receive love and gentleness. Right. You know, it's like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Like the more I'm open to just being me and being delighted in and being and receiving kindness, the more kindness comes out of me. Huh. Oh, okay. And And that plays right into the refusing how we're made like you're surprised that when you do these things yeah this fruit comes yeah i you know we're we're fearfully and wonderfully made we are made in the image of the most beautiful thing ever mm-hmm. right like we're just a hair off that i mean humans are incredible not because of what we've done or who we are but because what's been done for us and whose we are like, mm-hmm. and we get to reflect that mm-hmm. we get to stand in that so anytime i i am not standing in that i'm not reflecting that i'm refusing the dignity of god mm-hmm. like i'm rebellious and you rob everybody else of the greatness yeah. god put in you yeah mm. oh, this is one of my favorite ones codependency is living with an external focus to do or say whatever i have to do or say to not be abandoned yes <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, in one sense, it's self-explanatory, but unpack that a little bit yeah. more. Codependency is another way of saying it, is an overfunctioning of empathy. It's a hyper empathy, right? And let me define empathy. Empathy is the ability to build an accurate map of another person's insides. Mm-hmm. That's what empathy is. It doesn't mean you actually care. It means I can read you as a human being accurately enough, based on my own human experience, to go. I kind of know who you right. are. I kind of see how you're like me. You're like other humans. I'm glad you said that because that description sounds like it was care for them. Yeah. But it's really narcissistic. It's care for you. It's just, it's not narcissistic yet. Oh, it's not? It's just how we're made to read each other. Okay. Okay. And go, are you, are you like a human? Like, you are like a human. Oh, are you, you must hurt too. I must hurt. I can recognize you're hurting. But in the context of, context of codependency. So now here's where this goes. Okay. Okay. So then I learned that if I do something for you, you like me. Or if I say, nice shirt, you think well of me. You drop something, I pick it up and give it to you. Or I, better that, I anticipate your needs and meet them before you even know you have them. Right? You must really appreciate me. You must really need me. So now my identity becomes in reading the outside world to anticipate what other people need so that they'll think well of me. Then it comes to the place where I'm not okay unless you're okay. So then I live with a narcissistic demand that you be okay, and it's my job to fix it. My job to do it. That's codependent at the extreme. That's a sliding scale. Yeah, yes. From from health and kindness and just being a decent person. Yeah, being aware. All the way to... To being, and it ends up turning around to being, like it comes out of a sense of like, oh, I see you're like me. And then it goes to using that to earn love and earn appreciation and learn acceptance and perform for my worth. And that ends up, when it, when it turns to relationship, that ends up being codependency. Mm-hmm. I am dependent on your need of me for me to be okay. I was hearing a story recently of a guy that was on a, on a trip with another guy, and he was putting a tent up. And this guy came over to him and said, hey, let me help you with your tent. He's like, I got it. And the guy said, no, no, I'm going to help you. He goes, I actually want to, I really need to do this by myself. Like, there's something going on for me. And I just want to put this tent together with my kid, and it's kind of our thing right now. The guy said, I'm going to help you. And he goes, uh, hey, man, like, no. <laughs> it's like this guy's, this other guy's codependency. Like, and, and it, it's, it got really weird after that. Doesn't know what to do, not being needed. Yeah, not being able to offer help. And the trip he was on, he was on the trip with a bunch of healthy guys who knew how to ask for help when they needed it. And knew how not to ask for help. So this one guy didn't know what to do because no one's – and there were some uh, outfitters around that were taking care of all the needs. So you were just there to receive and enjoy. And this one guy, his identity is in being useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. He literally went kind of nuts. Oh, I bet. And a poor guy. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, so that's like – that's an addiction to people pleasing or an addiction. We're all made to please other people. Right. Like people pleasing in and of itself isn't bad. We're made to bring delight to the face of another. 
Right. Well, once I don't know who I am without yeah. being helpful, we're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Now, when I, my identity is bringing you delight so that I can receive delight, it looks like help, but it's really using you to make myself okay. Oh, and it's sickly. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels so good. This is less something that you've said, right? This is more, I'm, I'm tapping you for some wisdom. Okay. So, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast. We did a whole summer on feelings. Mm. I was just with some guys this week who've been doing some work and you you'll know this pattern because i experienced it i'm sure you did too and it's hard to ask this question without sounding elitist or two tierism but here's the dynamic you start the process of some work whether that's therapy whether it's group work whether Mm. it's facing all the stuff that you've been talking about for me i start recovery spiritual direction right yeah i start doing group work and i suddenly realize oh god i've been running from my feelings my whole life yeah. didn't know how lonely i was didn't know how fearful i was etc yeah i've been running from how god's made me my, for a long time right then i get in touch with that and it's horrible and also great yeah but the horror extends that when i leave group or leave therapy or leave and i go interact with my family system my work environment and my friendship group and realize they're not aware of the thing that i'm now aware of what do I do in that loneliness? And I remember you would say, which I broke the rules, where you would say, hey, when you learn this stuff, don't go do it with your wife it's or just family. just for you. Just don't, don't go do it. <laughs> I take it to my whole workplace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you do in that tension of you've got a piece of you and now you're angry for everybody else to get a piece yeah. of them so that you can have more of so them. So you won't be lonely. <laughs> so you won't be lonely. Yeah. But and I, you have this good thing you want to give away. It's never just What do you do with that tension? Uh, yeah, attention's a wonderful teacher. Right, because like, it creates more feeling, creates more tolerance of feeling. It creates more patience. It creates more dependence. It creates more wisdom. It, you know, it it is a hard thing to do, but also over. I wouldn't call it tears. I'm called. That's actually like a point on the journey. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's almost like uh, when you come to faith, like you you know you have something other people need. Yeah. And so then you try to like shove it down everybody's throat, yep. or you judge people for not believing what you right. believe. Instead of coming to understand over time that, like, man, the spirit is moving, and where where can you join in to where the spirit's already working, as opposed to you being the spirit, right? Like, there's right. a, but you have to kind of go through the first phase to, which is awkwardness, awkward, yeah, yep. So self growth, self awareness, healing work, uh, maturity work, it certainly comes to a place of like, I need the people in my life to have this, and some people stay in that longer. Some people grow through that quickly, but ultimately it comes to a place of recognizing, oh, this person, I, I, I was where they were. Like, they're right where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And when you can't make someone take what they don't want, you know, I was with a guy, I was having lunch with a guy a few weeks ago, and someone introduced us because this person recognized that I might be able to help this person. So it's like, well, let's, let's meet for lunch. This guy doesn't want help. He's he, he's perfectly happy, satisfied, content, running his success route. He his, but this intermediary wants you to yeah, fix them. Yeah, because it's really <laughs> obvious. It's really obvious that this guy is gonna have a like. The higher you climb, the further you fall. He's gonna have a big destruction, and he's unaware of it. Yeah, totally. And it's obvious to any of us who've experienced our own destruction. It's like, oh, I, I know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Like that's and a, you don't have ears to hear, and yeah. that's also okay. Yeah, and I've got like I'm not God, right? Like Jesus is so big. It's like, oh, wherever this guy goes, God is. He'll be fine. God's there to meet him. It's that whole thing of we walk in the light of the revelation we've received. Oh yeah. So we know what we have, and we're angry for other people to have yeah. it too. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. Uh, take good and bad. I would say sometimes for water, pure reasons, and sometimes for dirty reasons, and together you get mud. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to separate that. I think, mm-hmm. the, the again, this idea that we can like get to the bottom of ourselves and separate the good from the bad, that's the Spirit's work, right? right. We're muddy. Yeah. We're so muddy. Inspired. We're actually, you go back to the first story, we're made of clay. Mm-hmm. We're molded of clay, mm-hmm. right? Like we're made of the dirt of the earth. And it's where the, it's where the dark... And the light meet, and we're put together in that, and like that's awesome. And if we would quit worrying about trying to like be so good, and turn all that over to God and be ourselves, we could uh, not try to be perfect. And you could be Alan, and I could be Stephen. And you know, if I make some mistakes, you can tell me about it. And I can go, oh gosh, I did that. Yeah, I did do that. That makes sense. I do do that. Like I'm so sorry. I've got some fundamental problems, and they're changing. 
and they're going to change a little bit more and going to get a little bit more full hearted. And, uh, but I've got a log in my eye and you got a speck of dirt in your eye. And if I can just recognize that I got this log and it's my log and it hits people upside the head when I turn to talk to them, mm-hmm. you know, that plank is, is, uh, my plank. It's the thorn in my flesh. And I, how do I own and take responsibility and accept that I am made limited, mm. you know, and it's okay. So are you. And that starts to be grace and mercy. And so when, to kind of go back to like, what do I do when I get this thing and I want everybody to have it? It's like recognize they may not want what you're selling, but when they're thirsty, they'll drink, they'll drink it, mm-hmm. you know, but dogs return to their own vomit too. So they might have to drink some vomit for a while until they find out there's some cool water somewhere. You know, it's like, that's just the way we are. Let's end there, because that is <laughs> profound and beautiful and horrible at the yeah. same time, which is... It's just life. a human story, yeah. Where can people find out more about you, the work that you're doing, the books that you've written, the podcast you host? Um, you know, there's a Stay Chill podcast. You can check that out. Google Stephen James on Amazon. There's two of us. Uh, so the one with the PH, I sometimes get his royalty checks and he gets mine. It's very no. straight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have the same publishers. So that was weird. Becoming a dad. Parenting with Heart, Hope in the Age of Addiction, Does This Dress Make Me Look Fat, <laughs> uh, How to Hit a Curveball, Girl the Perfect Steak, and Be a Real Man. I've read some really good books, some really bad books. Wild Things, The Art of, no- of Nurturing Boys is probably the most notarized okay. book I've written. I'll put a link in the show notes yeah, to thanks. all those things. And uh, social I, media? Social media. I, you know, I have been off social media now for about 16 weeks. I, I love, I miss it. I think it's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. I was recognizing for myself, it was creating some anxiety and some, I love the likes. Like I love them. And, uh, I love looking at other people's cool stuff. And I like buying shoes off Instagram. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> so, uh, I've been off social media. You can look me up on social media. Sachel Counseling, the company that I lead, a group that I lead. And then most of my time these days is spent with the Leadership Lab. And uh, if, if you're an entrepreneur, leader, executive, want to ha- have more full-heartedness, you know, we are building a very vibrant community here in Middle Tennessee. Probably 80% of our people from Middle Tennessee, another 20% from outside mm-hmm. that come in. And um, that's a great way to engage the work we're, that I'm doing and the work we're doing. Uh, we're starting back evenings at Sage Hill. So if you're here in Nashville once a month, we host a community gathering where me or somebody from our team teaches. That's yeah. going to start back in August. I would, I'd say this. I, I love interacting with people. I, I love talking about life. Um, there is in us a lust for a king. And there's a lust for a guru. And there's a lust for a messiah. And I am so glad to encourage people, but I ain't your guru. Right. Right. Like, you've got to live your life I'm a rabbi to some people, and I I get to choose who those people are, mm-hmm. and I love teaching and training and developing people and mentoring yeah. people and coaching people. That is a passion of mine, coming alongside people and helping them be them. And like, if I've said anything that encourages anybody, thank you, right? And like, go find someone to encourage you. Like, yeah. I'm I'm not the answer to your life. It's healthy boundaries right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, yeah. Social media. Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, thank you so much for giving up yeah. time. Oh, come, man, come so this, I, think, I, I feel fed. This is so fun. A joy to have you. We'd would, love to have you back. I would love that. Thanks for being yeah. with us today. Thanks, man. Our thanks to Stephen for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for listening to. And a huge thank you to our members as well who make this episode possible. If you would like the show notes for this week's episode with all the links that Stephen and I talked about, go to alanandaj.com slash 286. And for now, have a wonderful week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games, paleo donuts and the kindness of God, the things we deal with every day, from Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me, Alan and AJ, keeping up with the Joneses, If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone.